Hi, I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the Fourth Trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth Trimester Care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Hi, this is Sarah Trott. Welcome back to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I am here with a special guest, Laura Ash, who I will introduce in a moment. And before I do, I want to remind everyone that we have a website, which is fourthtrimesterpodcast.com. Please go check it out and sign up for our newsletter. You can also follow us on Instagram at fourth trimester podcast, all one word spelled out. And we would love to see you there on social as well. So Laura Ash is our guest today. I have wanted to have her on the show for quite some time. I am a big fan of hers and her business, and I'm a customer of hers actually going way back. And uh, so here's her introduction. I want to spend some time talking about what she does. So she is a clinical herbalist, and we'll break that down in a moment of what that means. She's also a mother, and she's the owner of the Scarlet Sage, which is an herbal apothecary in San Francisco, California. She's also the founder of The Land of Verse, which is an online healing arts education company, and we'll talk about that as well. And she's also a doula, and she studied women's health with Aviva Ram. And Aviva Ram is an MD and an herbalist and an author of a book focused on hormone health, so we'll put a link to that in the show notes so you can check that out. And Laura, you've had a lifelong passion um, with alternatives to Western medicine and advancing the research and practice of herbal medicine, which is so cool. And you grew up in the Sierras, and you currently live with your wife and your two children and your Labradoodle in Oakland, California. Hi, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're so happy to have you here. So Laura, one of the things that we like to start off with, with a lot of our guests, is to talk about your own fourth trimester experience. Yes. I was sharing with you earlier before we jumped on that I've had two beautiful children. I was able to have two very different experiences for many reasons, and I'm happy to share both of them with you and your community today. So I'm so happy to be here. I was privileged and lucky enough to have two home births. And uh, the first, my first child, my son, his name's Tenzing. Um, I was 29 years old when I had my first child, which is like being a baby here in the Bay Area of having my first child. I was living in Atlanta, Georgia. I just moved there from San Francisco with my husband at the time. And I read, I got a hold of, what was the book from Ina Mae Gaskin, Spiritual Midwifery. And a friend of mine, because I was looking at hospital births, I was looking at birthing centers, she said, you know, you should read this book. And it was a total trip, all these rushes, talking about rushes versus contractions. And I was really interested. And as an herbalist, I'd already been an herbalist for many, many years. I was definitely open to a natural birth, but home birth is illegal in Georgia. And so I ended up driving up to Tennessee to meet the birth, the home birth midwives at the farm where Ina Mae Gaskin started her 
her intentional community. And I ended up getting a consult there with Carol, my midwife, and then decided to have a home birth up in Tennessee. So I actually went up there two weeks before my due date and ended up after a 12 hour labor, having a home birth at the farm in Tennessee, which was a really beautiful, very intense. <laughs> it was not rushes. Let me just say that it did not fall in that spiritual midwifery. But then after, right immediately afterwards, I was able to stay there in what they have these little cabins in their community. I was able to stay for five days. And then we drove back home to uh, the suburb of Atlanta where we were living at the time. And so my postpartum journey really started there. It started with my husband at the time and my son. And I was able to nurse immediately uh, 45 minutes after he was born. He, He latched very easily. And so nursing, thankfully, was very, very easy for me. I had an overproduction issue and I didn't realize what that was until about five days in where I was like, I am having such an intense time with this. Thankfully, mastitis never happened, but I can get into that because that happens about a month later. But my postpartum journey was really started there in my bed, in the cabin with my son and my ex-husband. And I absolutely was hit over the head with a hammer, did not realize how exhausted I would have been. I now describe it as you're running a marathon, bleeding on the side of the road, and then not sleeping for two weeks. It's like that's labor and that's postpartum. And people really don't talk about it, which is why I'm so excited that you talk about this. I say this often to a lot of customers that come into Scarlet Sage looking for post-birth support, post-birth herbs. I'm like, you are going to be exhausted and bleeding the whole time. And people don't realize that they're they had they absorbed or they didn't break down all of this blood, 50% more blood when they're pregnant, and they're actually losing the majority of that blood within a couple of weeks after they birth, plus a lot of blood in birth as well. And I think that is so deeply exhausting in and of itself of healing from the actual labor. So right after I had my son, I was able to sleep a little bit and then woke up and, and had to sneeze. And then I had a huge hemorrhoid come from the sneeze. So I learned right away to use my sitz bath. So I was able to make my sitz bath. Thankfully, I had it with me. One of the best pieces of advice I got from my midwife is to put sitz bath on pads, post-birth pads, and freeze them and have a stack of them in the freezer. And so you can put them directly on when you're wearing, you know, wearing a pad, you have to wear pads so much after your birth, it's wearing it, it would cool down all this inflammation. But then as it's thawing out, you would be sitting in your sitz bath. So you're not sitting in a warm tub, which is the last thing I wanted to do. And so I was having these frozen sitz baths, which I say, hopefully your readers are okay with this, it literally saved my ass. Because it was cold, it was all the herbs that are astringent, so it helps that hemorrhoid heal. And then about five, I couldn't walk for a few days. I labored a lot on my on my legs, I'm standing up, so my legs were really atrophied. And so I actually had a very intense postpartum healing because I was just so deeply exhausted from a natural labor that I was mostly standing the whole time. I did birth on the bed, on my side and on my back, which was also really hard. My son had a very large head. So that was my first labor immediately afterwards. 
I was, I would say, I would probably say I was clinically depressed during my pregnancy. I was very sad, very challenged by me moving from San Francisco to Atlanta. While I was pregnant, I felt very alone. And so after my birth, I would say I felt better. So I'm not sure if I had postpartum depression, but I absolutely had pregnancy depression, which I know happens in about 30% of um, people that are pregnant, which we don't talk enough about as well. And so I did feel okay because now I had something to do, right? The pregnancy was more challenging being alone because I just had to sit and wait and be tired all the time and be nauseous. But I felt like I could eat. I felt like I could now take care of my new child. And that felt better to me. My milk came in within a few days and actually came in significantly. And then thankfully, I only had two stitches. Um, I only tore a little bit with my birth. And so that healing was really quick, which was great. And I do have to uh, say those sit spots really helped that healing significantly. But um, that was my postpartum experience with my first child. Yeah. Thank you. Now, I've never heard that tip about putting the sitz bath on the pad. That's amazing. What kind of pad? One of the bigger, thicker? The really big maternity pads. Yeah. You can get any. If, if you're someone that births in the hospital, they give them to you. These are really large, almost like diapers because you're bleeding so much, right? So I would switch it back and forth between the dry one because you're bleeding and then the, the frozen sitz bath one. It was so phenomenal. I've had a few midwives tell me, oh, no, 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 never put anything frozen on your, on, you know, after birth on your perineum. And I was like, have you ever had a child? (laughs) (laughs) I need to know if you've ever had a child naturally, you know, vaginal birth, because the last thing I wanted to do, and I'm curious if you're, if you had the same experience or some of your listeners had the same experience was sit in a tub with hot water because I was so inflamed And so I was so grateful. I wasn't ready to take an actual sitz bath with warm water for for probably two weeks. It was um, just too painful, too inflamed. And I'm a small person and I had a child with a 98 percentile head. So I feel like I had a lot of inflammation that my body was healing from. So it was really uh, phenomenal, actually. And I have many, many women and people, um, pregnant, post-pregnant people come to me and, and share that they were so grateful for that tip. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I definitely used ice. I know a lot of women who did as well. Good, 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 good. I know it restricts blood vessels, but goodness sakes, you really need that afterwards. And then to quickly say with my second, sorry, you were going to say something. We had uh, a midwife recently on our program, and um, I'll I'll include this information in the notes as well. But I mean, the the lesson there is just don't leave the ice on too long because it can restrict and actually cause problems. So you know, fifteen twenty minutes, something like that, but not twenty four seven for two weeks after birth. Like that's way way too much. Like you can do damage there. So right, agreed. And the nice thing about the sitz baths and pads is that they thaw within probably a few minutes. And so it's this immediate relief, which feels really good. And then because they're so full of the sitz bath, you are sitting directly in this bath. So you're getting all those healing properties from the herbs, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory properties from these herbs directly on your perineum. So it's a, it's really lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Serena said when was the midwife and she, I'll uh, pass that tip along. That's, that's amazing. 
And then my second child, I had been, I'd become a single parent with my second pregnancy, a very traumatic divorce, separation, right when I found out I was pregnant with my second child. And we'd been living in East Africa and I conceived my second child. And then we moved to Madison, Wisconsin and separated. So I was a newly single mother with a three-year-old and my second child um, in Madison, Wisconsin. So my, I did plan for a home birth with my second. And I, I learned from the first experience that I really didn't like having a home birth outside of my home. I appreciated the importance of being on the farm and the significance of being on the farm and having that experience. But the drive there and the drive back with a newborn afterwards was actually really challenging. So I really wanted a home birth in my own home. And so I had these amazing midwives. Uh, Madison, Wisconsin is a great place to do a home birth and two midwives that were present. um, And I was able to birth in the water, my second child in our living room. Um, So I had this big tub that they fill up with water. And that was a really beautiful experience, something that if you ever get a chance, if anyone here ever gets a chance to experience, which is I know you have to be in a really easeful pregnancy and labor in order for that to happen, which I was very lucky for, but it was just a really beautiful experience. My body pushed her out for me. I didn't even consciously push. It was so cool. My midwife's like, just breathe through this, but don't consciously push. And my body just did it. I was like, oh, this is how people birth when they're like passed out, right? There's like, this is possible. This happens. It was just so cool. And with my second too, I wasn't as I didn't need to worry about it as much. At least that's how it felt. I felt like I was able to ride those waves a little bit more comfortably. So she was born, which is really beautiful, full moon eclipse, and uh, immediately gone on my chest. And I got out of the water and put on the couch and checked her. She nursed also within 30 minutes, immediately latched, which was great. And then My healing was very different. And I didn't bring this up the first time is that I actually tinctured my placenta the first time I gave birth with my son. And I was thinking, I heard, oh, if you tincture, which is an alcoholic extract of plants, how that's usually do it. So I put it in alcohol to use it for menopause. That's what people were saying is that, oh, it's really great for menopause. So if you can preserve it and tincture it and then have it for like 20 years down the road, that's great. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to do that. I saved the placenta. I tinctured it. And my second one, I had it encapsulated by someone that encapsulates placentas. I believe they're an acupuncturist. And I took that and I felt like a superwoman. I was so blown away with how much better I felt. That deep exhaustion was still there. That deep bleeding on the side of the road after a marathon was still there. And then I got the placenta the day after I gave birth and I was elated. I had energy. I I stood up, even though I was still having a hard time walking. The labor was a lot easier. It was only three hours for my second baby. And I felt so good. And I was like, this is why people talk about it. This is pretty phenomenal. And I, even my mood was significantly better. Even in the situation that I was in, I felt like I could do stuff. I had the motivation to 
get my life back together, go back to school, figure out what my next journey and my next chapter was with now my two children. And I did all the same self-care pieces with, you know, the sits baths and with, um, you know, taking, you know, sleeping and nursing. I did all of the right foods and all of the right stuff, but the placenta was the biggest transition for me from my first to my second of that postpartum experience. And placenta encapsulation is? Placenta encapsulation (laughs) (laughs) is, yeah, this is a great thing because a lot of people don't know what this is. A lot of people have heard of like people eat their placenta or do placenta smoothies. And the idea of this, it's a very old idea of actually ingesting what you basically create. You create your own organ when you create a placenta when you're pregnant. And that organ obviously is discarded and people often plant it or use it for other things. But it's extremely high in iron, trace minerals, B vitamins, a lot of things that you're losing with basically just bleeding, right? All of this blood that we're losing and all these fluids we're losing during birth are really intense and shock can shock our bodies really easily. And so you're just basically supplementing that back in your body. And so um, what they do, as far as I know, is they dehydrate the placenta and it's all sanitary. Make sure you get someone that's highly sanitary. They dehydrate it in a dehydrator and then they powder it and put it in capsules. So that's placenta encapsulation. So you're just taking your own dehydrated placenta. Your body recognizes it at you as you. It's very bioavailable, which means it absorbs extremely well. And you will experience if you're it's like taking an iron supplement if someone's anemic. And I don't know if anyone's anemic here. It just feels like you have energy, feels like you're there's some vitality and some force there. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah, we've had stories of women who took all of their placenta, the encapsulated placenta, which is just taking it in pill form, and they consumed it in like 48 hours. Wow. All of it. Is it- <laughs> and they felt fine. It was like yeah. no adverse effects. And other women sometimes will eke it out and take it even over the course of a year or save a couple for their children's birthdays as something that's special and connected, which is really neat. Um, all right. So we have a lot to cover. Thank you for sharing your stories, really different experiences for you. Um, and both beautiful. So here are our topics we wanted to talk about. So we want to cover an introduction to herbal medicine. What is it, how it works really high level. We're going to talk about the benefits of herbal medicine specific to pre and post birth. We're going to talk about women's health and the use of herbs for flourishing even beyond the fourth trimester. So there's, there are things that we can do in terms of self-care that I want to dig into for women specifically. And then any tips on how women and families can benefit from herbal medicine like right away. So any listeners who are listening to us right now can go home and put these learnings to use right away for themselves. So those are our topics. Uh, let's start with herbal medicine. What is herbal medicine? What do we mean by that? I love herbal medicine so much. So I didn't grow up with herbal medicine in my home. I had what we would consider a traditional white American family upbringing, very uh, Christian, very um, Doritos and Diet Pepsi kind of home. Um, Healthy food was like granola bars, like the Nature Valley ones, you know, bless my parents' hearts. They did everything they could. So herbal medicine actually is was quite new to me. So what I understood originally when I was 19 and getting into my own version of what I would consider being an herbalist 
herbal medicine looks like bottles. It looks like packages. It looks like supplements. It looks like essential oils, right? But really all of our ancestors were herbalists. So herbal medicine is the origin of what we would consider medicine today. So allopathic medicine or Western medicine actually is derived from herbal medicine. So herbal medicine is how all of our ancestors stayed alive. It's why we're here today. It's been used forever by animals and by humans And really only the last 100 years, we've got what we consider Western allopathic medicine, which is modern medicine. And so herbal medicine is in all of our DNA. It's our medicinal foods, right? What we would consider superfoods these days, things that made our traditional ancestors feel happy, feel um, ready to go to war even. There's some stories about traditional medicine feeling energized, which we would consider adaptogens these days, right? They also warded off the plague. They helped people's wounds heal quickly. So herbal medicine really is all forms of healing with plants, And we can use it as food, we can use it as a tea, we can use it as a salve external, or we can use it obviously internally now through supplementation, capsules, tinctures, which are alcoholic extracts. And then now we get things like essential oils, which are distilled from plants, which is a very traditional way of um, extracting the healing constituents from plants. So that's all encompassing herbal medicine. I'm a clinical medical herbalist, so I use herbs that are have a physiological action very quickly. Some people are traditional herbalists and they use more spiritual plants, so they use it for people with grief or even um, people that feel like they want to ward off evil or protection for against people trying to get at them. And that's more traditional indigenous medicine, and there's a lot of traditions there. I'm trained as a Western herbalist. I'm 100% Western European descent. My family's been in the States since the 1700s. So I'm really borrowing a lot of indigenous medicine if I'm using local plants, but I often use a lot of Western European plants that have localized here through white settlement. And um, that's herbalism in general. And there's so many different facets of herbalism, but the what I practice is clinically researched and traditionally used and how those cross over and how modern humans use um, herbs today. Okay. So this is something that's just been from the dawn of humans. It's like very common for us as humans to use what we have around us as a resource. So specific to pregnancy and the postpartum period, how do you see women and families using herbal medicine? One thing I I love seeing on a daily basis, I feel like I have one of the best jobs ever is people coming back and be like, oh, I feel so much better. I even see doctors using herbs, starting to integrate herbs in their practice. And they're like, people just come back so much better, right? It's like, we don't have to have these crescendo moments where, oh my God, this totally saved my life overnight, which does happen sometimes with herbs. But what we do see is that herbs have nutritive qualities such as red raspberry leaf. We'll talk a lot about it's this old wives tale that it's good for induction. It's actually not good for induction. It's very specific for high mineral content and supporting the uterus the entire pregnancy. And then even postpartum, our uterus is going back into shape. It actually helps that uterine tone back into shape. 
So we're seeing herbs that are very nutritive, like red raspberry leaf. It's high in B vitamins and high in trace minerals, even nettles that tie in protein, high in trace minerals and B vitamins that are really just supporting our blood, supporting our nutrition. And then we see these other category of herbs in pregnancy and postpartum that we would consider having strong actions. And when we look at herbs, we say, what are their actions? Are they astringent, which means pulling up tissues, right? Just like if you sucked on a black tea bag, you're like immediately like, oh, that's intense. That's astringent, right? It absorbs, it tightens up tissue and absorbs water. And then there are certain herbs which we consider demulcent. And so that's soothing membranes. That's like if you had a big rash, you would want to put something soothing on it. And that can happen internally as well. So there's these different actions that we use herbs as categories. Calming herbs are herbs for, that are nervines. And nervines are herbs that work with our central nervous system. And so anything that we see with pregnancy, we can do some general herbs for everyone. So we'll use their tonic herbs, red raspberry leaf, nettles, to really support that uterus, support that nutrition, support nursing, because we're really feeding our body. And then those actions are really supporting our detoxification pathways gently to make sure we're still moving anything we need to move through our bodies on a daily basis. And then we want to have calming herbs because it is very stressful, very stressful transition. And I love these herbs. These herbs are called nervines. They calm down the central nervous system. And these are herbs like lavender, which is a very, you know, red carpet herb. It's a Beyonce of herbs. And lavender is used in essential oils. It's used in in dried form. You can grow it, you can smell it, you can put it in a bath, a couple drops. It's very safe on the skin. It's very safe for babies. So we really like lavender a lot. You just, if you're using the essential oil, you just dilute it if you're using it on your baby, and it's very calming. And chamomile is one of the best nervines we have. And it's safe. What they what one of my teachers says, it's safe for children of all ages. So really good for calming. I like actually what I did with my children is put chamomile tea. I made a strong chamomile tea and poured it in their bath. And that just calmed their entire body down. Of course, then I'm drinking the chamomile tea as well to support my ability to stay calm and start napping when they're napping and sleeping when they're sleeping, which is the hardest thing I think for a new parent to do if they're also busy and they want to get up and do things is to actually rest And so nervines are definitely your jam postpartum for sure. But also in pregnancy, it's so stressful in these transitions. These are safe while pregnant. I would definitely, chamomile is definitely safe while pregnant. And so it's catnip. Catnip does the opposite to us as it does to cats. So it actually calms down our entire nervous system and really good as a milk producing herb as well. And then the last category of herbs that I would consider for pregnancy and postpartum are herbs that reduce stress load. And the safest ones to use without any adverse effects, if someone has autoimmunity, we're always aware of adaptogens with anyone with autoimmune disorder. And adaptogens are really reducing cortisol or helping our body break down cortisol. So we know cortisol is the stress hormone and it can cause a lot of havoc. Burnout is one of them. If we have a long-term cortisol, inflammation, digestive distress, um, obviously that can lead to other major things down the road if it continues. 
and adaptogens have been used forever, have the best research of adaptogens through traditional Chinese medicine. But some of the best category of those and the safest for pregnancy and postpartum are mushrooms and very popular these days. I'm not talking about the psychedelic mushrooms. That's a whole nother podcast if you want to jump into a different one. But I'm talking about medicinal mushrooms that are amazing for this foundation of health. And they, I really see mushrooms, if we look at a pyramid of how herbs are used and that foundation at the bottom, which is immune system, right? It's the core thing that keeps us getting up on our feet faster, reducing um, or healing from any of these like tissue tears from birth, from trauma, from injury. Our immune system is the thing that's coming in and cleaning things up. It also keeps us from getting sick all the time. It, it gets us out of bed when we're feeling a little unwell. We know we can do it. It's that deep sense of resilience. That's where mushrooms hang out. So reishi mushroom is one of the best ones. Keep that deep, strong resilience and deep immunity. And that's one you would take daily. And that's the one that you could put in your coffee, put in your tea, make in, your, in a broth if you want to. Easy to find these days. Thankfully, mushrooms are really popular, so you can absolutely take it in a lot of different forms. And it sounds like these are going to be useful not only pre and post birth, but can continue to help women flourish, kind of going on to the next topic, even for the long term, even beyond that. So uh, how, how does that look? Yeah, for everyone. Like we had a pregnancy tea out as a sample the other day at the store and we had to put on there for everyone and all these people, men identified and, and older, older women and there's over 60 are like, Oh, that's not for me. I'm like, we need to change this title to the tea that says high mineral tea. <laughs> right. Because what it is, is that it's so supportive of us as humans. We evolved with plants. It's the only way we're here. You know, the most successful humans, which are homo sapiens, had a diversity of food, which is why they survived so well. They were able to eat a lot of plants, a lot of meat. They were able to get nutrients from a lot of things. And because of that, we have been a successful species. And I work with indigenous communities and the Maasai in East Africa and in the highlands of northern Tanzania have studied herbal medicine from the animals. They watch the, the seeds they eat. They watch what the giraffes eat. They watch what the birds eat and the elephants eat and use. And so we have this tradition with herbal medicine that is for all times of life that I think it's often easy to forget. And it's often deemed as witchcraft if someone uses herbal medicine. And I have, you know, I have a vendetta. <laughs> around herbal medicine because of the cultural view that it can have when I see people getting better every single day and living their best life every single day because they're integrating it, even if they're taking medication, even if they are on chemo, even if they are choosing a C-section planned birth, they are going to feel better and they are going to heal quicker if they start using and integrating herbal medicine into their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the negative connotation seems a little old fashioned at this point. I mean, I know, that, I agree. But people yeah. are still there. People are still there. <laughs> Not everyone, but people are still there. Yeah, listeners, open your mind. It's time to embrace alternatives that are safe, that are not like jumping to the deep end of other kinds of medication. Um, 
Also, our bodies are very intuitive and we have a lot of what we need inside of us to heal. And, and I'm a big believer in that and our power of thought and our power of thinking. We have so much power inside of us to influence our mind and our neurons and our hormones inside of our body. So um, I, I think that there's an interesting question that we could pose for listeners around what are the possibilities for my body and for being healthy? Yeah. And one of the things that to add to your point about positive thinking, what I see herbal medicine do is let's say you are a clinically depressed person and that positive thinking feels like it's so far out of your realm. I see herbs as that bridge to even get to that point because they do, they can help increase GABA, which is that quieting of that anxiety, quieting of that monkey mind. I see them as this bridge of getting to the point where you can get out of bed and go look for a new job, right? And these are herbs that help support you. So there's this, there are these in-between bridges with the goal of wanting to get to that mindset, the goal of wanting to have enough energy to go look for another job, send that email, you know, connect with friends that you feel want to feel connected to. They really can help shift these what we would consider energies in our body that we feel like it's all us. And a lot of it is because we're depleted. A lot of it is because we're not getting the right, you know, nutrients. A lot of it is because we're exhausted. And how do we support our body to kind of get up that things that are really good for us and do feed our soul and our purpose in this life. I've seen herbs really shift people's chronic um, anxiety significantly. So they are living their best lives. And that's the piece that I think people forget is that there are great tools to get to the other side of not needing them every day, right? They're not medication. You don't have to take it for the rest of your life. Actually, the more you take herbs, the stronger they get. Your body's being trained to find those new neurotransmitter pathways. If you're taking it for anxiety, your body's trained to um, or your digestion is healing, taking herbs that are helping your digestion heal, right? It's not forever steroids where if you stop taking them, everything goes back, right? That's, it's very different in that way. It works with our body's own healing practices. Yeah, agreed. So now is the time where I'm going to put a disclaimer out there, which is, so first of all, don't interpret anything we're saying as not to consult with your doctor. We wholeheartedly encourage anyone listening, if they're interested in using herbal medicine, consult with your medical team, with your physician, your midwife, talk to your support, um, your, your medical team, support team, so that you get the okay to move forward because everyone's different around this. And also we are believers in using what's right at the right time for your body. So we're not saying forego other types of medicine, other types of Western medicine necessarily. Go to your doctor. If you break your arm, you need to go get that set. <laughs> you know, there's there are degrees. Don't come to me if you break your arm. <laughs> no. No, no, no. So just want to make sure we're clear on that point. The point is about being open to the full spectrum of how you can use herbal medicine as a layer in your self-care and as your medical care and Absolutely. what that, what that, how that can be appropriately integrated into your health. The majority of clients that I have are on medications. And so a good practitioner will know what drug or interactions exist. 
And integrative medicine is the future of medicine. It is the ability to take care of ourselves. And when a Western medicine is needed, it's needed. And, and we go, we say yes to that. So I think the team of caregivers is a lucky thing to have if you have access to it. But do the research. You'll know of those medications, um, you're, if you're on medications, or a doctor um, puts you on medications and it, it works well for you. It, the research is out there of which ones, which herbs you shouldn't take when you're on it. And it's very straightforward. So and a good herbalist will work with you on that. Perfect. So as we wrap up, let's talk practically for a moment. I'm someone listening to the show right now. I'm interested. I want to get started, maybe pregnant, maybe postpartum, maybe the whole concept of children is a twinkle in your eye. They want to get started right away. What can they do? And some of the things that we touched on earlier, I know you have online education, you have the shop, even outside of your offerings. What if, what can someone do right away if they're interested? Yes. The biggest piece that I've seen with fertility when I've helped um, people try to get pregnant is stress. And for all genders and all partners. And so reducing stress load is an easy thing for me to say, but I can give some tools of helping reduce stress load. So especially if you're over 35 trying to get pregnant, stress is a really important piece. So stress and nutrition. So reducing stress load, there's some the herbs adaptogens we've talked about. Feel free to research your own. Um, Tulsi is one of my favorites. It's really lovely. Holy basil, it's a lovely tea. Easy to find. Every natural food store, you'll see some Tulsi tea in a tea box. You can start drinking it and feel like, oh, I feel like I can handle some stressful situations a little better and I'm not as overwhelmed. And there's these little pieces that you'll start feeling about how these adaptogens are working. Mushrooms we talked about, that's a great place to start. Uh, one of my favorites is ashwagandha, um, especially if your partner's male. Ashwagandha can help actually increase virility for, for men and for people with penises. Maca is a great herb for both um, all genders to help with um, actually semen count as well as motility. So there's some really good herbs out there that you would be able to find to start supporting this idea. I want to be as fertile as possible when I start trying, or I'm trying right now and I haven't checked all these alternatives. Any midwife or OBGYN that's helping you with fertility knows about these plants. And if they don't, it's easy to find clinical research on them and give them say, Hey, I'm interested in this. This is what I want to do. I have presented many people's doctors with clinical trials. I love clinical trials. I'm involved in some new ones right now with skullcap for anxiety. So I'm all for the newest research out there. And they're actually really wonderful support systems for you and your um, allopathic doctor, if that's something you want to go into. PubMed is a good place to start if you want to look for those. And then the nutrition part of it is really important. I have seen people's fertility increase significantly by drinking bone broth. So um, one of the biggest challenges I've seen is people not eating as their ancestors ate when they're trying to get pregnant. So um, I always guide people in to the direction of what did your ancestors eat? So my ancestors are British and Swedish descent and my ancestors ate reindeer nine months out of the year in order to survive the Arctic Circle. 
they also ate a lot of fish. So I actually survive a lot with protein, animal protein, and with high fatty fish. That increased my vitality significantly. And so I would look at your ancestry and see what kind of foods they ate on a regular basis. Vegetarianism is usually not the best place to be uh, supporting your fertility. And there's some good research on that. But if that's something that someone has a hard time with, I usually recommend just doing bone broth once a week as a medicine for them to support that fertility and that virility as they are, are really getting prepared to have a child, again, with all genders. And those are the two pieces, healthy fats, healthy proteins, and then really nutritive herbs and stress supportive herbs for someone that is preparing to have a child. Perfect. And for pregnancy, are there any tips for hands-on things they can do right away? A good prenatal is everything. I was very nauseous with both of my babies. So I swear to God, my prenatal was the one thing that gave them all their nutrition. Um, a really good food-based prenatal. Um, there's a few companies that I know are doing really good ones. I don't know if we can talk about brands on this podcast, but my favorite is New Chapter. They're fermented um, foods and herbs, highly absorbable. Again, I was very nauseous. I did not get nauseous with this supplement. Um, so I do recommend them more than I recommend any other prenatal. And I did not experience any like neon yellow urine or any constipation with both of my pregnancies. And I've seen a lot of people have extremely good results with that prenatal. It does have methylfolate if you are someone with an MTF. MTFHR uh, mutation. So you need methylated folate in order to get folic acid that is already in that supplement. So I would highly recommend that first because nausea does create such an extreme loss of nutrition. So you really need to make sure you're taking one of those if you are someone with extreme nausea or if you're just someone that wants to eat donuts all day long. I think that's really important. <laughs> The second one would be pregnancy tea. We talked about red raspberry leaf is supportive. It's a uterine tonic. So it actually tones that uterus the entire pregnancy. So safe pre-pregnancy, in pregnancy, and post-pregnancy. It's not just for induction. It's not just for labor. Many people walk into my store and they're like, oh, I want this baby to come tomorrow. I need red raspberry leaf. And I'm like, Arr! I have other herbs for that, but you should have been doing this for nine months. I don't say that in that moment, but it is not going to make the baby show up. What it is, is when we're, con when we're in labor and our, our body's contracting, we need tone, we need muscles, we need the ability to contract in order to push that baby out. Red raspberry leaf does that. It helps keep that tone the entire pregnancy. So when you're in labor, it actually is supposed to make labor faster, make labor more efficient in some ways. And so, and it has all those minerals. So red raspberry leaf is really important. Nettles are really important. Nettles are these high mineral content, very traditional English herbs. You'll, you'll read them in all the traditional herbals. Nettles have always been a food and a traditional herbal medicine, but it also helps with edema. So any water retention that some pregnant people have can help reduce reduce that water retention with nettles. And then I like nervines. Um, catnip is one we talked about earlier, an oat straw or milky oats. Um, they're like those grassy oats that you see probably here in California, like all summer. 
And what those are is they actually nourish your nervous system so much that it's considered even stress reducing. And so it's a really good one to take in pregnancy and postpartum. Okay. And so anything specific to postpartum that you'd highlight, if if someone did one thing, what would it be? Ooh, postpartum one thing. That's a tough or three one. things, or you know, you top. <laughs> well, I always make sure you have lactation herbs available because underproduction can be so scary for people about to nurse. If you're nursing, blessed thistle is one of the best herbs, and goat's rue is one of the best herbs for milk production. Hops are actually one of the best herbs for milk production. And I'm so glad hop waters exist now. So make sure you have some of those in your fridge. Because if you need extra milk production, hops is really good. And hops are also calming and they're a a really good nerving. Hence, beer makes you very chilled out. And so hops are a really good way to um, get that postpartum support for milk production and calming your nerves. And then I would say this any sits bath herbs. So really using those astringents. So calendula is one of the best herbs externally for any scarring, any wounds, any tears that you might have your perineum or your vagina. You can use calendula salve, which is basically like a beeswax olive oil salve cream with calendula. Calendula increases healing. It helps stitch skin cells back together and it reduces scar tissue. So sometimes if people have a C-section, they can actually drink calendula tea internally. It works with our lymph system. It's very good for our lymph, but it also helps heal that scar tissue, reducing that scar tissue internally as well. Wow. That's amazing. So I'm going to take the opportunity to um, share that you have very generously offered to give a discount off of all the products on Scarlet Sage, 10% off using the code FOURTH, F-O-U-R-T-H, one word FOURTH. So please, if you're interested in trying some of these things today or later, remember that and use it and see what you think. I'd love to hear your feedback. So would Laura, let us know. She also has the online courses, I think, both on the verse as well as I think I saw on Scarlet Sage and some of them are free. So some of them are absolutely 100% free. You can go do some online education around herbal medicine. If this is really piquing your interest, go deeper, go find out more, check that out. And then we will have all of this information on fourthtrimesterpodcast.com as well. The site to go to for Scarlet Sage is scarletsage.com. And for the online education beyond that, you can go to landofverse.com. You can follow Laura at the Scarlet Sage, the Scarlet Sage on Instagram, as well as at Land of Verse. So we'll have links to those on the site as well. Um, and there's even a special collection of pregnancy post-birth products. So you can go, we've talked about a lot of them today, but you can go and find that collection on scarletsage.com, which is really neat. Um, this has been absolute gold dust. It's been amazing conversation and a lot of great practical information that women and families can put to use right away. And in fact, even beyond women and families, everyone, it sounds like, can put to use right away for using herbal medicine in their lives. Thank you so, so much, Laura. We really appreciate having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah. It was lovely. Thank you. 
You can subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband, Ben, daughter, Penelope, and baby girl, Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now. Hello again, bicycle man I know you're doing all that you can I wrote the song, simple and true I wrote the song, I'll sing a song for you You got your wheels, you got your gears you ride around town without any fear You got your pedals, you got your brakes You always wear your helmet for safety's sake